As we uh, take a look at what the Lord has for us this morning in, in Romans chapter 6, I just want to remind us where we come from and where we're going to. See, we, we, we begin in the doctrinal section of Romans and we begin by considering in Romans 1, 2, and 3 our state. Our state as men and women born on this earth, we are born as slaves of sin. We're going to see that this morning. We are born living lives guilty of offending the God of the universe. Remember when we talk about sin, we're not yet worried about our sin, what someone else has done to us or what we've done to someone else. Before we can start worrying about that, we need to worry about the one between us and the Lord God Almighty. We are guilty, men and women, of offending God. Romans 1, 2, and 3 tell us that. Romans 1, 2, and 3 let us know that in that state, we are lost, hopeless. We cannot save ourselves from that point. So, God, even as the songs we sang and the the things that we celebrate this morning, God sent His Son to... Take upon Himself our sin, our failure, and to bear the penalty. When we look at salvation, salvation breaks down into into three concepts. We want to simplify it. It's salvation from the penalty of sin, salvation uh, from the power of sin, and salvation from the presence of sin. Salvation from from the power of sin is justification, being made Just as if we'd never sinned. Remember, Jesus came, bore our sin, died on the cross, and He covers us with His blood. So when God looks down upon us, He doesn't see our sin. We're living under that covering. We know each other, right? We're still sinners. We're not perfect. But we're covered, thank God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's justification or salvation from the the, uh, penalty, excuse me, the penalty of sin. Then we enter in Romans chapter 6 begins to talk about, well, if Jesus has done all the work, then it doesn't matter what I do, how I live my life, the choices that I make. They're irrelevant because Jesus has paid it all. Here's what we have got to understand when we look at uh, the concept of salvation, what the scripture teaches. You don't get to break salvation up. One word salvation includes all three, justification, sanctification, glorification. Any thanks, baby. Any other part, you are not saved if you are only justified. You are not saved if you are justified and sanctified but never glorified. You don't get it divided up. There's no such thing as two out of three ain't bad in regard to this. Two out of three is impossible to be saved. All or nothing. That sounds pretty familiar to what Jesus Christ says, isn't it? He's got to be our everything or He's not our anything. And that's the concept that Paul's laying out for us as we take a look at at what the Scripture has for us in Romans. We want to see here in chapter 6 some of those ideals. Here is salvation laid out before us, our need, what Jesus did in justifying us, what Jesus does currently in sanctifying us, and what Jesus promises to do yet future in bringing us to glory. Salvation from the presence of sin. We don't have that till we see Him face to face. We are saved, are being saved, will be saved. 
It all is happening simultaneously and you don't get to pick one or the other. It's all true or none of it is. So as we take a look at what the scripture has for us this morning, I want us to understand that justification by faith cannot produce a Christian who is cavalier about sin. Justification by faith cannot produce someone who doesn't care, that doesn't matter. I'll just live any way I want. You notice as we've gone through Romans, we've had these questions. Well, shall I sin that grace will abound? That's the attitude of of someone who who understands the truth. Okay, I I know the truth of, of who Jesus is and what He's done. But what I don't know, what I don't understand is that He is the most precious thing I need. That He is the greatest treasure. That He is to be preferable above all else. That's that's what salvation is all about. A lot of people know who Jesus is. And they know when He was born. And they know that He died for their sins. And and that's good. we got to move that knowledge though, right? From between our ears to between our shoulders. It's got to come from our head to our heart. If we understand the beauty of God leaving heaven... To put on flesh, to take upon Himself our failures, our hatred, our problems, our issues, and then to pay the penalty for it, to destroy the power of it, and to promise to take us out of the presence of it in the future. When we understand that, there's no way for Him not to be your treasure. And if He's your treasure, He's your Lord. And the scripture very plainly this morning is going to tell us, if He's your Lord, your Master... Well, we do what the Master says. Our lives change. They change radically. They change amazingly. So what happens? What if all I've ever done is learned a kind of a a Christian life where I understand the truth, but there's no desire? What if uh, in my life I've, I've come to... To see and to know the value of Christ. But I've never spent any time in prayer and meditation and conversation to, dis- to, to build within myself a stronger desire for the Lord. Because what you love, you praise. Because what you love, you share. Because what you love, you can't help but want to be around. What if I never move to that point? Then I'll ask the question... I'll ask the question that we see this morning. Look, Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. I want you to understand, that's not a commandment, that's a promise. It's not like thou shalt not, it is, sin is not your Lord. You could say it that plainly. The question in Romans chapter 6 is we consider, well, if Jesus has done all this for me, I can live any way I want to live. I can do anything I want to do. I can, I can sin and God has to forgive me. I've heard people tell me that. That's a scary place to be. Because as I shared with you, you don't get to have just two out of the three. You can't say I'm justified and one day I'll be glorified, but I don't care about being sanctified. If I'm not sanctified, I'm not saved. 
just as much as if I'm not justified, I'm not saved. So chapter 14 begins, sin is not your Lord. you got to decide. We have, to, we have a, a, a choice to make, right? Jesus has offered all this, but it's ours to receive or reject. If I've received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I put my faith and trust in His finished work, He's justified me, now He's my Lord. So when He says, sin shall not be your Lord, that's what He's saying. Sin's, sin is not your Lord. I don't care what anybody's telling you. Sin has no power over the believer, but the power we give it. Sin's not the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. That's the first thing that he's want, He wants us to understand. He wants us to recognize that. Why? Because we're not under the law. We talked about this last week, you remember? Under the law means you've got to do it all yourself. Under grace means Jesus does it all for you. Only one or the other. So since Jesus is doing it all for you, since you are under grace, His work has saved me. Sin is not my Lord. That's verse 14. Sin is not my master. So when he says sin shall not, he says, look, this is a promise. Sin has no power over you. Jesus Christ has broken the power of sin in your life. That is sanctification. He did it. Then he opens a door and asks us to walk it. How do we please God? By what we do? We please God by having faith. We believe what He said. Do you believe what He says in verse 14? Sin's not your master. You're under grace. Jesus Christ is now your master. You're not a slave of sin any longer. If I believe that, then what happens in my life is a declaration of war against sin. A declaration of war against sin does not guarantee that I will win every battle. It guarantees, however, that I will win the war. Jesus Christ has won that. I fight from victory, not for victory. There may be times I struggle and I stumble and fall in between, but I'm putting my faith in what He said. Sin's not my master. It's not my master. Jesus is my master. Sin is not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Now, if I don't know any of the the passion, and I don't know the desire, why Jesus is preferable to a life of sin as my master, if I don't understand that, then I'll ask this next question. So what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Since Jesus has done it all, it doesn't matter what I do. God has to forgive me. You ever heard people talk like that? God has to forgive me is, a, is bad theology. <laughs> the scripture says, God has spoken, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. That is, in plain language, means God doesn't have to forgive anybody. God forgives us because He loves us. But he doesn't have to do anything but continue to be God. So when I come to this, I don't want to ask that question. Sin is not my Lord. It does not master me. When I'm under grace, this is what I know. God, by His Spirit, is living inside of me and He is writing upon my heart His law. He is speaking into my life 
His desire. Psalm 39 says, If you delight in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. Some people take that verse to mean, Well, if I, if I make God first, He's going to give me all the things I want. That's not what it says. It says, if you make God first, if you love the Lord, He will put His desire in your heart. That's called sanctification. It's God putting within me a desire to please my Lord. To recognize that Jesus is preferable to my sin. To realize it is not about my freedom. It's not a question of freedom at all. It's a question of, do I love God or don't I love God? And if I love God, then I'm willing to lay aside everything to show Him I love Him. Whatever He would ask. Whatever He would call for from me, that I would lay that aside. So God, by His Spirit, is writing His law in my heart. Right? That's the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31. Here, go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. And we'll probably look at 12 and 13. But when we go here, I used to trip over this, these couple of scriptures. And and hopefully this will help to kind of set in your mind how sanctification is a work that Jesus is doing in your life. Leading us through or to the place where we make a choice to walk with Him. So we look at at Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. Listen, it says, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You guys heard that verse before? I, I always used to trip over, what does that mean? Work out, I, I, I can't save myself, God saves me, what's that mean? That phrase, work out your own salvation, means to carry your salvation from that point, from the point which you received what Jesus Christ has done for you, to its conclusion. You've heard it like this before. Finish the race. Or walk the walk. To to take what Christ has given and what He's doing on the inside of me, and then to take it to its conclusion. So if He is giving me desires, if He's placing in my life, writing on my heart His will for my life, then then I just am just going to follow what He's directing me to do. I'm going to follow what He's directing me to do. And the important part is verse 13. For it is God. Look at it. It is God who works in you both to will your desire and to do the energy to accomplish what God's asking you to do. God is working in you. He puts the desire in you, but it's something we do together. God will not take my body like a robot and make me do what I'm supposed to do. But He'll put that desire on my heart that says, I can't live here anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't stay in this habitual sin. I can't stay in this thing that God has shown me I'm supposed to leave. Because if I do, I am declaring from the top of the mountain, I love this more than you. I love this, whatever the thing is. Whatever, whatever it is. My life, man, I, I think I dreamed about having a Harley forever, huh babe? Forever. 
I had lots of motorcycles growing up and lots of motorcycles when, when I was young. But I always wanted a Harley. And one day, God gave me a Harley. Oh, it was beautiful. If you ever seen it, I don't know anybody still around who saw it. I had 21-inch ape hangers. You guys know what that is? That means them bars were way up here. Skulls everywhere. Every head of every screw or every bolt on that bike was a skull. Oh, I had a kid walk by one time and, and say, is that Pastor Jackie's bike? I thought he was a Christian. <laughs> I felt a little convicted by that. So I had a friend make a, a carving that went on the, on the sissy bar in the back seat. And it was Golgotha, the place of the skull. And, and so I tied all that stuff in and started using it as an opportunity to witness to people. Because a lot of people would come to me and say, man, this is a cool bike. I like all your skulls. And I say, you know what that's all about? And I take them to Matthew and read, them, read to them about how Jesus Christ offered himself as their sacrifice on a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. That was, it was amazing. But I remember one day, I stood right there, right where Lori Lee's feet are. And I said, you know, if God wants my bike... He can have it. Careful what you say. The Lord, uh, the Lord saw fit to take the bike. I was just thankful He didn't take me at the same time. God took the bike. Uh, but there's been a variety of times in my life, not just that, but other things where th- I've had, uh, I've gone through hard times or I've lost things, and God has whispered in my ear this simple phrase that He said to Peter. In, in John 21, Peter, do you love me more than these? So anytime God has ever said to me, Jackie, do you love me more than these? Yeah, if you want it, God, it's all yours. I don't want nothing that's going to hinder or separate me from you. I don't care what it is. Look, having a motorcycle is not a sin. Having an idol is. And I, the difference between having a, a motorcycle or an idol is what happens when God takes it away. When God takes it away, I say like Job. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is all that matters. And that's what He's laying out for us. Look, God puts a desire in my heart. God gives me the strength to enjoy what He's asking me to enjoy. God gives me the energy that I need to do what He's asking me to do. So if God's calling me not to sin, if God's telling me to leave a relationship that's a sinful relationship, and I think I don't have the strength to do it, God, if you're a believer, God has given you the desire and the energy in order to do it, and He will provide for you to do so. But He won't make you do it. That's our part. But if we don't, if we don't understand the declaration that you're making, that this, in reality, is my God. You can only serve one master. Either it's Jesus or it's sin. There's no neutral territory. Look what the scripture tells us. If we look at verse 16, it says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death 
or of obedience leading to righteousness. What does it declare? You are born a slave. No neutral ground. You are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to God. Now there's something interesting about that word. If you guys remember when we first started Romans, if you were with us like six years ago when we began in Romans chapter 1. As we've been working our way through Romans, remember in the beginning, we did a study on just one word. You guys remember? And everybody said, I can't believe you talked the whole time about one word. And look, I'm almost done now, and i got a long ways to go. So I won't belabor the point. The word was doulos. It's the word for slave here. Doulos carries with it the understanding of the word doulos. It has in mind that you are born into the state. You are a born slave. That's the picture that God wants us to understand. The born, you are either born. Once you're born a slave, only one thing can make you not a slave anymore. Death. Once you are a doulos, the only thing that sets you free is death. You remember what the scripture has already declared to us in Romans chapter 6? How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? We were slaves of sin. He, sin, our nature, our sinful nature was our master. But I have died with Christ and I have risen with Him. And now I'm enslaved to Christ. Once the goal of my slavery led to death, now my slavery leads to righteousness. That is a gift from God that He gives to me. It's not something I have to earn. It's something that He gives me the strength to do. A doulos surrenders His will for the will of another. So as we look at this scripture, and what this scripture declares to us, we can understand clearly. We can understand. Don't you understand? Don't you know? Don't you have the experience that tells you that whomever you're living for, you're serving And you can only live for one or the other. You can't live for both. So who are you living for? Where is that focus for sin and that sin nature is always going to take us where we don't want to be? But if we have a relationship with Christ, if I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He has placed a new nature within me, right? I'm a new creation created in Christ Jesus my Lord for good works that God has appointed that I should walk in them. So these are things that God's spoken into my life that He's empowered me to do. If I put my faith in Christ and I'm justified, then He's in me. I don't have to listen to the other nature The old master, remember last time I told you about the castle and the throne and sins the rebel who wants to get on the throne, but he tries to capture our desires and twist our desires into sinful desires, but God is on the throne and He is writing upon our heart His desires, and so we bring every thought captive to Christ, we bring all of that through Jesus Christ, and we just walk where He's calling us to walk. We are following the master that we serve. And I choose 
to make God my master. He is my everything, not sin. He is preferable. He is better. He is greater. He is all that I could ever want. But look, we see that it's God's work because you look at the next verse. Look at verse 17. He says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine with which you were delivered. Why is he thanking God? Why doesn't he say, Why? Thank you that you chose not to do those things anymore. Because that's a part of it, right? Sure, I have to walk in in conjunction with God's will in my life. But who's he thank? He thanks God. Because where does the power come from to do it? From God. Where does the desire come from to walk that way? From God. Remember, I told you when we put our faith in Christ, he enters into our life and he writes on our hearts. Do you see where he said you obeyed from your heart the doctrine which you received? Where'd that come from? It came from God. He's speaking into our life. That's why a believer, according to 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and most of the New Testament, cannot continue to live in habitual sin. Because he'll sit in that place and say, I can't do this. It goes against my nature. Once, it wasn't a big deal. Now, it is. I serve a new master. I follow a a new Lord. He is my Lord and Savior. He has done so much for us. And understanding what He's done is so important. Look at verse 18. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. How many of you guys remember English from school? How many of you guys liked English from school? Uh, The English teacher raised her hand. Um, Man, if we want to be able to study the Word, we're going to have to learn, remember all those things that we thought we'd never need again from English. In this verse, in verse 18, there are two two types of of verbs that that I'm going to give you a a short English lesson and Don't worry. Nobody's going to want me for their English teacher. But there are active and there are passive verbs. An active verb means I am doing the work. A passive verb means someone else has done the work for me. In this verse, they are all passive. This this verse tells us that they are all passive. So someone else has done the work. And having been set free from sin, who set you free from sin? I did it by my own willpower. I said no, and then now I'm free from sin. Bunk! Jesus Christ set me free from sin. And then he goes on to say, you became slaves of righteousness. Jesus Christ made righteousness my new master. Sin was a master before. Now Jesus is my Lord. Sin was my Lord before and I wanted to live my life in debauchery. But now Jesus is my Lord and I want to walk in righteousness. And it's not a question about, well, what's it okay to do and still be a Christian? That's the dumbest... Stop asking me those questions. <laughs> Can I still be a Christian and... If you're asking that question, probably not. Stop. 
Jesus Christ is Lord, leading to righteousness. But here's the error. Here's what happens. Some people say, well, this is what the Bible says. So sin's no longer my master, so I'm perfected. We've got to go all the way back and start all over again. Okay. Here's what the Word of God tells us. If you still got Philippians, your finger in Philippians, flip back over there because Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 has something to say to us. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I have already obtained, or am already made perfect. So, that's Paul talking, who wrote Romans. Philippians he wrote later. So do we become perfect? Remember, justification covers us. So in God's eyes, we're perfect. But under justification, we're living in sin still. We live in this world. It's fallen. We mess up. We goof up. But sin's not our master anymore. That's sanctification. Our master is Jesus Christ. And so we listen to the desires He writes on our hearts. And we walk by the strength that He gives us to walk. And day by day, little by little, He is making us holy. So I cannot live in sin. Or I am denying the work of sanctification that God is working in my life. I can't do it. He wants me to move forward. Not that I have already obtained or am already made perfect. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. I press on for what He has done in me. I'm not perfect. Ask Kathy, she'll give you a list of reasons why I'm not. In fact, more than that, my mom's here. If anybody hasn't met my mom, wave your arm, mom. She can tell you sins Kathy doesn't even know about. <laughs> I am not perfect, but I am moving forward. That's the stance of the believer. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, listen. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image one degree at a time. If there's a better definition for sanctification, I don't know one. I'm looking to Jesus, and I look at myself, and I say, it's not the same. But as I look at Him, and as I love Him, and as I long for Him, and as I follow Him one degree at a time, I'm becoming more like Him. So I can't say, "Ah, why don't I just sin so grace would abound? Because that's not how I've learned Christ. That's not who Christ is to us. So we look at verse 19 in chapter 6 of Romans, and it says, I see where it says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. This is a, an idiom that Paul's using. He's saying, Look, I know slavery's kind of got bad connotation. You know, when we think about slavery, that's slavery, we don't usually think of slavery as good, a good thing. He's saying, Look, I, this is not a perfect illustration, but you're beginning to understand. It's not perfect, but it helps us to to see. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for 
sanctification. So what's he saying? Slavery is not the perfect picture. But in the same way that I used to live as as sin as my Lord, and I would chase after sin to deeper and deeper sin and more and more sin, now I live my life Jesus as my Lord, and my walk now is toward Him, leading to more and more holiness, sanctification, righteousness, because that's His character. And if I'm following His character, I'm moving in that direction. Not already attaining, not already perfect, not already sinless. That's not ever going to happen. But I'm going that way. I'm moving towards Him. I want what He has. Listen, sometimes people hear that Jesus is guaranteeing, and in fact, that's what He's doing. That's what the Word declares. He's guaranteeing your success over sin. You understand that? He said, sin shall not have dominion over you. Jesus said, I guarantee you will overcome. Just follow me. But sometimes we start to to think, well, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter where I go. I can do all that stuff because Jesus has done it. And we say these same things. Let us sin that grace may increase. Or we say, let us sin because we're not under the law. We're under grace. God has to forgive me. Both of those views are man-centered. Not God-centered. We want to have God-centered views. We want to have biblical thinking. So since my success is guaranteed in Christ, and it all depends ultimately on what God has already done through the cross, through His resurrection, through His high priestly ministry in heaven today, then maybe, just maybe, there is hope that I, a hardened sinner, can choose to live a life pleasing to God. Here's what the Word declares. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If He's in me, and I hold to His promise, and I hold to the hope that God is working in me, both to will, to give me the desire, and to do the strength to do what He's asking me to do, then I can choose to live a life that pleases God. And how do I please God? By believing what He said. It is impossible to please God without faith. Didn't the Word declare that in Hebrews chapter 12? Or Hebrews 11? For without faith it is impossible to please Him. For in order to please Him, you've got to believe He is. And He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It's faith that is pleasing. What I cannot have, it makes me hopeful that there is a possibility of change in my life because Jesus is working in me. Makes me hopeful. What it can never make me is passive. 
and saying it doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. It can't make me passive. If my attitude is passive, God's not in you to will and to do. And you may have a head knowledge this morning, but you don't have a desire for God. You have a desire for something else, for someone else, but you don't have that desire for Him. This is what He's declaring. In the same way you lived after sin, live after God. Because God's in you to give you the strength to do it. He goes on in verse 20. Look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin. Oh, there's three things we're going to pull out of this section. When you were slaves of sin. This is the first part. Please understand the Bible teaches there's no such thing as neutrality. And you choose evil or you choose God. That's not anywhere in the scripture. You were slaves of sin. Every human being, every child... Every infant is born a sin nature and as a sinner is a slave of sin. All of them, everyone is born with sin as their master. There's only two choices, no neutral, there's no middle ground. Jesus said you are either for me or against me. There's no place in the middle. So look at verse 20, you, when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. When I was a slave of sin, I could care less about righteousness. I don't care about none of that stuff. I don't care what the Bible says. Who cares? I'm going to do what I want to do. I was free in regard to righteousness. It didn't matter to me. Righteousness wasn't even on my agenda anywhere. So, this first verse in verse 20, he's telling us, Again, we are all by nature slaves of sin. And we're born there, and the only way we're set free is if we die. So if we come to Jesus Christ by faith, receiving what He has, the Scripture says, I was crucified with Christ, and I was risen again. So I died to my old master, and I have a new one, Jesus. It's the only way out of sin. It's the only way to become a man or woman or child with a new nature. To be born again. Now we have a new nature. But all of us started by nature as slaves of sin. Verse 21. So what fruit did you have? Then in the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin. And having become slaves of God. Oh you remember I told you just a little while ago. About active and passive. Those are both passive again. God did that for you. If you put your faith in Christ, God did that for you. You were a slave of sin, but now you're a slave of God. The point is, God is the deliverer. God is the one who delivers us from slavery. And our part of walking toward holiness is first dependent on His part. If He's living in me to will and to do, now I can walk toward holiness. If He's not living in me to will and to do, I can't. (coughs) I don't have the power to do it. First He does, then I follow. For He saves, He enters, He writes, He empowers, I follow. 
It's all dependent on Him. Justification, sanctification, glorification is all salvation. And it all comes from God to me. I receive it. It's a free gift. We're going to see it in verse 23, right? It's a free gift. But if that's working in my life, then I hear the call to holiness. Maybe the call to holiness is a dream. Maybe the call to holiness uh, uh, is a, it's a, just a burning desire in my heart for something else. For, for uh, stepping in the missions, for, for answering a call as a, as a pastor, for fulfilling a, 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 a spot that God is laying on our heart. All of those things is God writing on your heart. Saying, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Because once you were a slave of sin, but I have set you free, come and follow me. It's dependent on God. God has done the work. He has accomplished it. Man, we were bound to sin once, but He has set me free because He has changed my nature. No longer do I have a sin nature that is on the throne. I have a new nature on the throne. My sin nature is still around. He's still talking. He won't be quiet. But he does not have the throne unless I give him the throne. Jesus is on the throne. He has done the work. The reason we find ourselves bound to sin or bound to righteousness is either our hearts are so corrupt or our hearts are so renewed that we cannot stop sinning or we cannot stop moving toward holiness. Christ is working in us to will and to do. The point that he makes in in verse 22, guys, is that if we don't have that deliverance from sin, if we're not justified and being sanctified, we're not saved. You don't get to take it apart. We are justified, sanctified, and will be glorified. Now, here's the comforting thing while we're all kind of freaking out. But do you hear what Jackie just said? I don't know. If I'm holy enough, well, that's probably a good sign. What do I mean? Abraham was declared justified in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham was declared To be being sanctified in Genesis 22. The place where Romans and James connects is a justification. The point is the distance between Genesis 15 and Genesis 22 is 25 years. It's a process, not a perfection. It's a process. Are you in a process toward holiness is my question. If you are not in a process toward holiness, you do not care about holiness. You don't desire to follow Jesus. You don't want to lay things down. Then I'm suggesting you may not have been justified in the first place. Because God is in you if you are. 
to will and to do. God is in you saying, stop. Now our part is to obey Him when He's saying that. But there's a, bit, there's a difference between, Ah, oh, God's just going to forgive me. I'm going to leave my husband, leave my wife. God's got to forgive me. I'm going to just keep on this lifestyle. God's got to forgive me. Hey, that's no desire for sanctification or holiness there. There's only a desire for sin. And if that's your heart, I don't think you're justified. I don't think you desire God. I don't think He is preferable in your life. I think your sin is. I think sin is the master. I think sin is your Lord. And to be saved, Jesus needs to be our Lord. That's what He's laying out for us. That's what He wants us to be able to grasp. But since they're working together, justification and sanctification, what's the fruit? You gotta love this part. It says fruit. What's the fruit? Eternal life. You know, you don't work to make fruit. The branch just has to stay attached to the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he said, every one of the branches that are attached to this vine will bear fruit. What is the fruit? Eternal life. What is the fruit? Sanctification. What is the fruit? Justification. All of it is fruit. We stay attached to the vine. We make our desire Jesus Christ. Once my desire was to sin, but now my desire is to follow Him. Now my desire is to want to be with Him. I want all that He has for me. If I want to say, how do I know if my faith in Jesus Christ is real, then what I'm going to look for in my life is the work of sanctification. Remember, Romans And James meet sanctification. James says, you say you have faith, but you have no works. I say, I'll show you my faith by my works. What are those works? Sanctification. What is it simply? Following God's direction in my life. Listening to and and walking in His power to be what He's asking me to be. Because God's working in me to will and to do. For His good pleasure. God's making a new creation in me. I'm just walking with Him. That's where James and Romans come together. Jesus is on the throne of my life. My life changes. Period. My life never changes. (laughs) Jesus not on the throne. Last verse. Everybody knows this one, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Three things are contrasted. Sin and God, wages and gift, eternal life, eternal death. This really should not be a hard decision. Which one of these is the better offer? Which one is the better offer? Sin versus God. Look. Here's where we mess this verse up. So please listen. I know I, 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 I'm almost done. Promise. Five minutes. I'll finish. I'll pray. <clears throat> I, I'm pro- I won't break my promise. 
I might not finish, but I will pray in five minutes. Um, okay, it's, the wages of sin is not the actions we do. Sin is not an action in this verse. Are there actions that are sinful? Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sin. Sin, that's our nature. God, that's our nature. He's speaking of one master or the other. One master, sin as your Lord, will pay you wages. Jesus as your Lord, you give you a gift. Sin as your Lord is going to pay you a wage. We need to know the difference between a wage and a gift. A wage is something you earn. Listen to this. A wage is something you earn because you are depleted for it. It cost you something. You lost something. Eight hours of your day and you want a wage for what you lost. View it like this. Sin as your master is a vampire who comes to you and says, every time I drink your blood, I'm going to make you as high as you can possibly be. And day by day, you're just dying a little more. He is taking from you. He's paying you a wage. But he's not the one who's paying. Sin don't own nothing. God does. God pays it. He pays the wage. He either paid for it with the life of his son. Or he gives you what you want. I will not have this man to rule over me. He will not be my Lord. Sin will be my Lord. Then the fruit is eternal death. We call that place hell. But God, as master, gives gifts. You can't ever earn it. And you're never depleted for it. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't take anything from you, nor can it ever be extinguished. Heaven. Sometimes people say things like, heaven's going to be boring. Blows my mind when people say that. Uh, The Bible says that the goodness of God and the beauty of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God are unsearchable. They're infinite, which means they can never be depleted. You know, like, if someone gave you a million dollars and you were spending so much every day, eventually you run out of a million dollars, right? It might take a while, but you run out. But the unsearchable riches of God means it'll never be depleted and never will one day will there be one minute amount less than there was the day before. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into hearts of men the things that God has planned for those who love Him. You can't even begin to fathom. the. the in fact, there's no way to fathom. My biggest problem with every book that says, you know, I went to heaven and I want to tell you about it, is Paul went to heaven and you know what he said? I don't even have words. Everybody else has a book. I don't know. I don't know. But God gives gifts. Justification, 
sanctification. Eternal life. Which is just another way of saying glorification. Salvation from the penalty of sin. Salvation from the power of sin. Salvation from the presence of sin. It's what Jesus Christ is doing and continues to do in and through and by us. But I don't want you to miss the last part. Look at the last part of that verse. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? It's got to be in Him. If it's not in Christ, it's not in me. It's not in the church. It's not in your attendance. It's in Jesus Christ. Those masters lead us to one of two things. One master leads to eternal death. One master leads to eternal life. Only is one question. Who's your master? Who's the master? What do I do? It's not that hard. That's why I love God. I admit my need. I am helpless without God in my life. I admit my need and then I pray for the gift of God. Whether it be justification, sanctification, or glorification. For whatever I need. He says earnestly desire the best gifts. What's the best gift? The one you need right now. Don't complain that you don't have the gift. Pray. Give me your gift. He wants to. Admit your need. Pray for the gift. Trust in the promises of God because it's by faith that we enter into that relationship with Him. And then act. Jesus is whispering to you and me, follow me. If where Jesus is saying follow me is not where He's at, if where you want to go is not where He's at, Stop making excuses for why you go anyway. Be a man. Stand on top of the mountain and say, I love this more than you. Because that's what you're doing. That's the choice you're making. Act. Follow Him. Or don't. But if you don't follow Him... Don't tell us all that you're following Him. You're not. The last thing, thank Him. Because He is the one who gives the gift, empowers us, does the work. It's all about Him. It's all for Him. It's all through Him, to Him, and around Him, and by Him. And listen... I'll never tell you. I want you to concentrate on not sinning. I want you to concentrate on not doing any of that thing. I don't want you to, I don't even want you to think about sin. Do me a favor. Just stop. I only want you to concentrate on doing one thing. One thing. You love Jesus more in five minutes than you do right now. You love Jesus more tomorrow than you did today. That's it. The rest will take care of itself. If you love Jesus, you'll follow Him. If you love sin, you'll follow it. Just love Jesus. Amen?
I told you I'm going to pray in five minutes. Let's go. Stand up and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you this morning, Lord. We're just blown away by your beauty, your majesty, your power, what you've done for us. That you came across chasms we can't even begin to understand, to, to put on flesh, to bear upon yourself the horrible sin that I think and that I have done and that I have loved. You took it all. So that first you would die and pay the penalty for that sin. And then you would rise and break the power of that sin. And when you left, when you left, you said, I will come again and save you from the presence of sin. Um, I am so amazed at your amazing grace. It's not about what I did. It's all about what you did. And I want to follow you. I want to follow you with all my heart and soul. I struggle. Sometimes I, I, I want to go to the left or to the right. But as soon as I do, as soon as I get off that path, Lord, your spirit is in me saying, Stop doing this. God is pleading with us this morning. Love me. Like I love you. I came for you. I want to follow you, Lord. And I lack the strength at times. But your word says you give me the strength I need. So I hold the promise that you have laid out before us. I hold the promise of holiness, of sanctification. I cling to it because you are doing it in my life. And then I act. I'm going to follow you. If you're not there, I don't want to be there. I will go where you are. And one day I will see you face to face and the battle will be over. But until then I declare war on sin. All sin is not okay. None of it is okay. I declare war on sin and I pray, Lord Jesus, as I follow you, your strength, your energy, your call in my heart will lead me away from it, that I might bring glory and honor to you. So God, hear our cry. We love you. I choose you. You are my everything. Be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.